0: Welcome to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie It's a podcast about the nuts and bolts of life in rural Australia The good, the bad and the beautiful I'm with uh, Jason and Natasha Robig And we're just going out to have a look at some of their hives Now tell me where we're going Jason Because you're in charge of making sure I don't get stung
1: Okay, so what we'll do is we'll walk up and around, so we walk, so you can see, stand back from here, you can see their flight path is coming straight down into the hive, so we want to walk around and come in the other way, because you don't want to stand in front of their flight path, because they won't want to sting you, but they'll freak out if they hit you, and they'll just reaction, and they'll sting.
0: Now, I've never seen a beehive like this. It's a long box and it's got a corrugated iron sort of lid over the top of it. What's special about that box?
1: It's basically um, what they call a top bar hive or it can be known as a canyon hive, um, essentially, where it's pieces of wood that are placed um, sort of along the length of the hive and the bees naturally form their honeycomb off it. So there's no actual structure as such to to a typical langstroth hive, which is a square box, which everyone's used to seeing. So this one here is a bit more of a natural approach to beekeeping. It's not a conventional way we keep bees because to extract the honey, it's rather difficult to maintain the the comb and then replace it back into the hive.
0: Why do you do it then?
1: Uh, It's just a nice hands-on way. It's something different. It challenges our skill set and we learn something new.
0: Now, this is really interesting because I've never seen bees just sitting outside the hive. They're like sitting on a little shelf just outside the hive and you know, just wandering around there, deciding whether they're going to go in or not.
1: Um, so basically today it's about 36, 37 degrees. Um, what's basically happening is a population inside that hive there is actually really strong. It's one of our strongest hives we have on the property. They want to basically stay outside the hive and fan. So they're forcing, if you like, an air conditioning through the hive. So they're feeding cooler air from outside and through the hive to cool the hive out. Because inside that hive you're sitting about 36 to 37 degrees. It can be 40 something degrees outside they'll be able to maintain the temperature inside that hive at thirty six, thirty seven 37
0: degrees. So it's a bit like being a cave, you know, down un- underground, you keep it at a constant temperature.
1: That's integral for their brood. So if they can keep it 36 degrees, the brood remains happy and they start developing into bees. Any hotter, the brood starts to die off. Any cooler, the brood will start to
2: die off. Natasha, why did you get into bees? Uh, we got into bees because our daughter, um, she was born with eczema. And we were finding that the uh, use of continuous use of steroid cream was thinning her skin and it was making her hair fall out and it was um, having the adverse effect on her eczema. So with the assistance of our doctor and the advice of a naturopath... We researched into bees and found that raw honey and beeswax had really high medicinal properties. And uh, we decided to mix together a little balm using different natural oils Mm -hmm. and things like that and uh, tried it on her for a few weeks and we found that it was really helping with the moisture content in her skin and uh, that's essentially the sole purpose of why we got into bees but then after doing some research into bees we just found how incredibly intelligent bees are and how much we need them for pollination services for our, our community for our food two-thirds of food relies on the uh, honey the uh, honeybee or the, the sorry the bee pollination um, so we really need to incline, um, de- increase the population of our bees And you say they're intelligent what do you mean by intelligent? They have, um, so there's, a, there's been a lot of research invested in um, the hive intelligence around the bee, so evolution of bees obviously changed to suit the conditions of our environment. So um, in our current conditions, um, we found that they are, although they are heat sensitive um, and they do stress, um, they've become really quite resistant to the harsh conditions of our um, environment. Right now we're in the middle of a, a dearth, um, what they call a dearth, it's because of our drought community conditions. conditions so there's not a lot of flora for them to foliage from but they're still making it work um, for their family and to grow their brood and that's why it's really important that we don't take too much honey From them, if any at all. If they don't have any to give, we simply don't take them.
0: So, this is what you mean by ethical beekeeping?
2: It's um, about being kind to the bees? Absolutely. Ethical and sustainable beekeeping means our bees come first, the health of our bees absolutely essentially come first. So, we like to maintain their hive um, in the middle of winter when they most need their honey. We don't touch them, but we still maintain them to ensure that there's no um, disease. So, this is disease prevention and maintenance. Um, And if we do find that they have excess honey we would hate for them to drown and be suffocated in too much of their own honey so we help free them up by swapping out some of their frames and putting in fresh frames for them to make more more room in their hives.
0: You're listening to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie. Life on the land can be tough but the people who live there choose to live where they live and there is a sense of community you won't find in the city. (music)
1: Bees um, natively want to expand and, and, and colonise. So when the hive gets to critical mass, they'll create a new queen cell. And they literally, if you like, go one, two, one, two, one, two. Everyone's got one. Raise your hand. We're leaving. So they'll basically swarm off with the queen. And they'll cluster on trees, on the ground, wherever the queen rests. The bees will ball up around her to protect her because she is the hive. If she passes away, they'll, they'll die out. So we get the calls in the community. So rather than go out and exterminate them, spray them...
0: Ethical. You
1: don't use AeroGuard. Yeah. No, God. <laughs> no, no. We um, So we offer a free service. We'll go out and pretty much rehone them into a box. Uh, we'll then bring them back to a quarantine yard to make sure they're not carrying disease. We'll monitor them for about four to six weeks and basically keep them segregated. And then once we're happy with their health, we'll then integrate them into an apiary site. Um, and then again, like I, I said to to the people we provide this service to, we merely provide them a box to live in. They choose to live there. So we've got to make sure they're happy. If they're not happy we won't be able to keep them.
0: How do you get them into the box? Because you hear about bees being caught in people's roofs or in their water meter or somewhere else. They, they like it there. They don't want to move into your box.
1: Well, when, when they're a swarm, they haven't actually called anything home yet, so they're looking for a home. So basically when you see a bee swarm, it looks like a football or a soccer ball, That they're stuck to a side of a tree generally. And what they'll do is they'll send out scout bees, and those scout bees will be looking for a home that they can set up. in the perfect position that bees like, and unfortunately their environment is being reduced, is the weep holes in brickwork is a perfect, perfect um, entrance space for them to fly into. They go into the cavity of your of your home between the gyprock and, and the brick or the double brick veneer, which, whichever way you have and they love it. That's perfect. It's a perfect space for them. It's insulated, so they're not having to worry about heat. It's protected from predators. It's just an ideal environment. So basically, that scout bee will then go back to the main swarm and communicate through a bee dance or a bee waggle, and they'll pretty much say, all right, we're going to fly 400 metres left, turn right at the stop sign. That's going to be our new home. They communicate it to the, to the swarm, and then pretty much with the queen take off, and they'll make their way home into the wall. How do you make your box that preferred option we don't unfortunately really give them a choice <laughs> um so when they're a swarm um, we'll basically go up to there and they're fairly docile their main priority is to keep the queen safe and preserve their energy stores so we'll go up to a, the branch of the box below it and it'll have um generally we we'll have what we call stickies so that's a, a frame that we've extracted honey from but still got honey scent on it we'll go to one of our healthy hives and grab a frame of brood and we'll put that inside the box and we literally shake them into the box and they just literally just drop into it. Now, the maternal instinct, I guess, if you want to call it that for the bee, is as soon as they smell brood or sense brood in that box, they will generally, 99% of the time, not leave that box once they're in.
0: How do you make sure the queen's in there?
1: It's a hard thing to do. You can actually sit there and watch them or but essentially the best way of doing it is when you shake them into the box. You don't all get them all in there, but after about 10 minutes, you'll see what they call, what we refer to as the bee march they will scent her and they'll start walking into the hive. Um, and it's essentially wherever she is, they will follow.
0: Jason, this is a native beehive.
1: Yep.
0: Now, they, these are TCBs. Where did you get them?
1: Um, this is a, a call we had from someone who follows us in our, in our journey on, on Facebook. Um, she called out to us saying they had a native um, hive in their water meter box uh, where they work and their um, employer was actually looking at flushing them out with water and... Um, she basically gave us a call and said we'd be interested. So we went out and uh, rescued them from the water meter box. Uh, and then we've basically honed them inside a, a native box here. And uh, basically, um, they'll live here now. Like we will basically look after them and maintain them and also form part of our education framework for people who are anaphylactic against the European bees so they can still learn about bees, still be interactive with bees. So they're not, it's all-inclusive. Um, Tasha's really focusing on being all-inclusive. So there's no barriers to, to beekeeping. So just because you're allergic to bees doesn't mean you still can't learn about them. You can keep natives. They're absolutely harmless. And they, uh, they produce about maybe half a kilo of honey a year.
0: Okay, compared with how much to a European bee? Pertains?
1: On a good, serious flow year, you produce out of a strong hive anywhere up to 150, 200 kilos.
0: How do you extract the honey from native hive?
1: Okay, so in that box there, the the larger bottom box, I guess you can call it, is where the hive proper is going to live. So that's where all their brood is um, basically kept. In that top box is where they'll pretty much store all their honey stores. We'll take that top box off and we have like a bed of nails. And what we'll do is we'll push it into a bed of nails and then literally strain it out. Natasha, what's the secret in tasting honey?
2: So it's kind of like a wine tasting. So you start with the... uh drier or the the less flavored the lighter honey and then you go into the deeper darker more flavored sweeter honey i tend to put it on my tongue and then savor it to the roof of your mouth and then let it melt down the back of your throat you can definitely taste the majority that's flowering at the time so for example if it's in the heat more of a summer it's going to be a lighter more florally type mm. honey whereas in um closer to the winter time it's more around the eucalypt heavier tea tree type let's get jace to do a
0: first test and then he can commentate
1: so that's the native honey now for me it's a lot sweeter um it's got more of a oh, hard to explain for my taste but a bit of a citrusy taste to it um, definitely a lot lighter than conventional native bee honey, oh, sorry, uh, European honey. Um, some would say it's an acquired taste. Uh, it's not this, this sweetness that you get through your typical European bee.
0: No, so I just, I um, put it on my tongue. It's sort of, it's sort of really light.
1: It's got d- definitely got a different viscosity to the conventional European honey.
0: That's a very good word, viscosity. And I think it's absolutely delicious. <laughs> So what's this? What's it thing?
1: That's a strawberry-infused creamed honey. Um, We're we'll trying to support the, the strawberry industry, I guess you can call it, when oh, they okay. had that needle in the strawberry incident. Yeah, so and you made this? We did.
0: How did you do it?
1: Ah, secret's in the sauce. Um, essentially, what we do is we—you can't add too much. Um,
0: oh, gee, gee, you can really taste the strawberry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the the honey itself is sort of a little bit crystallized.
1: Yeah, so cream honey is crystallized. Oh, honey. Is it? yeah, yeah. So it's just a really smooth crystal. So what would you
0: use this on? Because it's very
1: powerful. You... Scones. Okay. Pancakes, waffles. Um, I was just eating it out of the jar.
0: You put on a few kilos, I reckon.
1: No, no. Whatever gave you that idea? No. <laughs> Because we went to the, the strawberry growers, we got all yeah. their fruit that they weren't disposed of. We found another purpose for it. So we went and literally got nearly 200 kilos of strawberry off the growers, partially dehydrated the strawberry, and then worked out a formula of adding it to the honey and creaming it so you got that nice strawberry kick through the honey. Um, and again, it was like our way of supporting the industry, the local industry. Mm. Um, and, and Tash and I are very passionate about that. So wherever we can help fellow growers, we will source our products from them versus going to the market and, and buying it and not knowing the history behind the fruit. We're very passionate about paddock to plate.
0: And did you find that people supported the, the strawberry cream honey?
1: Uh, it, yeah, absolutely. It's too, we could not make it quick enough. As soon as we made it and it was set to sell, it was sold. We are, we're getting pre-orders now for next season.
0: You've been listening to Postcards from the Bush with Robin McConkie. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app and leave me a review. Music was composed and presented by Luke Aidney.